and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's get our Bibles out, something to take notes with. Uh, it is good to see my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. I love this church family. I just love this church family. I, I really do. Um, uh, who brought their Bibles? Let's see those. Hold those things up. The, I got to tell you that that doesn't happen at a lot of churches. Pastors tell me like, why do you do that? That's like a dangerous thing to have them hold their Bibles up. I said, because I want them to bring them. So uh, if you don't have a Bible, look on the Bible app on your phone. That's good too. And you can find our notes on there. Um, this is one of our core values right here is biblical truth. Um, and in fact, everything else that we do is based on that core value of what the old school theologians called sola scriptura. That's Latin for scripture alone, meaning that scripture alone is the infallible source of authority for Christian faith, Christian practice. So let's open our Bibles up to John chapter 8. All right. Uh, and let's take our gum out. All right. This is the last week in John before we take a break for a short series for both February and March. We're going to come back to John in April, God willing. We'll, com- we'll continue. We still have those first few verses of John 8 that we kind of skipped over in this series. So for those of you who didn't hear the new series starting next week, is very special and we're calling it what is the church? Or we're, we're saying part of like what Hal was saying, growing together into deep-rooted disciples together. So we're calling it growing together dot, dot, dot. What is the church? And we're going to answer that question in that series. I think it's going to be uh, a challenging but a very good series. At the same time, we're going to look at some of our core doctrines of what makes a church a church. We'll use scripture uh, and at the end of that series, we're going to have two big celebrations that you can't miss. Like it's required being here. One is the 14th birthday. Uh, and then the next week is Easter. Uh, and so that's going to be an incredible time. So, well, let's get to preaching, shall we? We're getting so close to the end of this conversation that it's been taking place between Jesus and these religious leaders. We've been looking at this, these over the last several weeks. And so I want to finish this part of John 8 uh, before we take this break. And then we'll pick it up at the first of John. Uh, that's the woman caught in adultery. Now, we don't want to rush through any of this stuff. And no one, no one has accused me of rushing through it. It's one of the blessings of being uh, the senior pastor uh, of, of a church that lets you just preach through the Bible. You know what I mean? Like, let's just go verse by verse. And I, I wanted us to hear what Jesus is saying today because it's so practical and it gets right to where we are, um, how we live our lives. I, I mean, about having faith. And what what does that mean, having faith? What do we do with faith? How do we live faith? And not just in the easy parts of life. I'm talking about the most difficult parts of life because let's be honest, that's, that's where it's hard. I, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will show us that today. So if you remember our series so far, the first section of John, 
chapters one through four, kind of everyone loved Jesus. It's kind of the introduction of Jesus as the Messiah. It had John uh, the apostle introduce him, John the Baptist. And then you have that chapters uh, five through eight, and that's where it started to go downhill. Everybody still loves Jesus in the big crowd, but the Jewish religious leaders aren't liking him very much because he starts doing awful things like healing people, um, you know, getting people that are lame to walk, and he does that on a Sabbath. And so uh, that's where the controversy really begins. And these religious leaders, they brought it to a head. They want to kill Jesus. They want to take him out in, because of these things that he says, things that he does. Um, at the same time, Jesus is clearly claiming to be the divine son of God, especially in chapter 7 and 8. We've seen that. Jesus goes even further, though, in claiming then these religious leaders of the country are actually sons of the devil. And so that doesn't get you on a great footing with the leaders. What Jesus is doing is pointing out the ancestry, both theirs and his, in this section. Now, the reason I want us to think about this is because this conversation is now going to talk about the earthly, the physical father of the Jewish nation, and that would be the man Abraham. So, what's interesting is Abraham is mentioned 11 times uh, in this chapter, and then he's not mentioned any at all in the rest of John. So this conversation is going to revolve around Abraham and who are Abraham's or Abram's, that's his name before God changes it, who are his descendants, who are true children of Israel. He was the godly line by Noah's son Shem, uh, Abraham was, and um, and uh, Noah's son uh, Shem, and then Noah was of the godly line of Adam. So you see how it connects there. So God chooses Abraham. He's called Abram in the, uh, in the original, uh, when he first calls him, God chooses Abram to be the father of many nations. Now flip over, this isn't our main text, but flip over to Genesis, that's the first book in the Bible, 12 verses 1 through 4. We're going to look at that for a minute. We're going to see the promise, the calling of Abraham. Here it is. Now the Lord said to Abraham or Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. So this is God's calling, right? And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went. That's key. Underline that. As the Lord had told him, and Lot, that's his nephew, went with him. Lot's going to be a problem child here. All right. Many of you are probably just finishing reading in this as you're going through the Bible in a year. So you you have this on your mind. Uh, There's a great deal going on here. But let's get the most foundational parts today. God calls Abram at this point to follow him. He doesn't know where just to follow him. To follow God's plan for his life and to go to a new place, a new country. And if he does, God promises Abram to 
to make him into a great nation. And then that great nation will be a blessing to all the world. That's the most basic part that Abraham has faith in these words of God. And then watch this. He demonstrates that by acting on that faith. How does he do that? He follows God. If you remember back in verse 33 of John 8, the Jewish leaders had said, we're offspring of Abraham. And they're claiming authority to be true sons of God based on their DNA of being a descendant physically from Abram. And over the last few weeks, as we've studied what Jesus has just told them about their true identity, that they're not sons of Abraham. And as we look to this, it sets up verse 51 we looked at last week. Let's read verse 51. Jesus is speaking. He says this, truly, truly. Remember this, amen, amen. Amen, amen. He says, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus is pointing out that the word, the scripture, the word of God is the command of God and is saying that everyone who keeps his word will not face the second death, spiritual death. So these religious leaders respond. Look at verse 52. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Now let me make sure that we get what Jesus and these religious leaders are arguing about. The religious leaders are saying, we are physical descendants of Abraham, so we are the true children of God. We're secure in our salvation. In other words, we'll go to heaven. But Jesus is saying that they are not descendants spiritually of Abraham. Do you see the difference? John the Baptist said in Matthew 3, 9, he says, And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now the reason this is so important is that when we consider Abraham's faith, apparently being a physical descendant of Abraham is not the thing that saves you. So what's the important thing about Abraham's faith? Why was God so pleased with Abraham, how he lived? Because Abraham demonstrated his faith in God's word. In other words, Abraham lived out his faith. He trusted God. But how? How did he demonstrate that? We can look at that in three big ways. This is what today's Sermon's going to revolve around. Write this down. Number one, Abraham's faith, placing God's call above earthly honors. Placing God's call above earthly honors. Now, when Abraham, he is living, when he's still called Abram, he's living in this country called Ur. You are, er, <laughs> I was like, what is there, what, 
what is their um, mascot? You know, the Ur, well, they're the Chaldees. The Ur Chaldees, come on out onto the field. It's modern day Iraq, just to let you know where it's at. Just above kind of that area um, in uh, not northern Iraq, but not southern either. So he was apparently a well-known, he's a prominently, apparently a prominent guy. His family has wealth, he has wealth, he has prominence. Uh, where he was in Ur. So he could build a very respectable life based on daddy. And there are, was a ton to lose if he left to go to an unknown place. God doesn't tell him where. On his way, God takes Abraham through another place called Haran. They're there for a year, few years. Abraham could have stayed there. He apparently builds wealth there. Um, he could build his life there. But he leaves that as well, to follow God's call. And get this, God doesn't tell Abraham where he's taking him. God just says, go from here, go from your country, from your kindred, leave your family, and go to where I'll show you. Now, he takes family, takes his wife, takes his nephew, Lot. Anybody remember uh, Mr. Holland's opus back in the day? You remember that movie? Some of you, some of you are like, man, I was, I was born in the 90s. So, okay. He, I love that because I've always thought it was the perfect example of this point he, uh, that I'm making here is we want a map to get to where God's telling us. Like, I start here and I'm going there and here's the road, but he doesn't give us a map. He gives us a compass. Do you remember that from the movie? He gives us a compass. We, we don't have the actual directions. We just, we just know from the compass, if you will, God gives us this compass instead of a map. God gives us a direction. He says, go that way. And trust me, I'll accomplish my purpose in your life. That's what he says to every Christian. Now, I have to say, when I sensed God leading me to become a pastor years and years ago, into full-time ministry, I argued with God. I would pray what I thought was a mature prayer. I would say, God, if you will show me what you want me to do, I will weigh that against what I feel like I can do for you, like my gifts, what I can do. And you let me know where you want me to go, like what's, what does it pay, what do I do? And then I'll weigh that and get back to you. That's not how faith works. I had to get to the point in my life, and it took several years, where I surrendered to God's plan for my life at the expense of my plans. I had to give my plans up. And this is the every Christ follower must say, I'm yours, Jesus. You take my life. Do with it what you will. I'll go wherever you want me to go. That's where faith gets to. Hey, take some serious storms to go through. It takes serious storms to go through to get to that point, at least did for me, because I'm hard-headed. I don't know about you. I had to go through rough times in my life until I could say, Jesus, I'll follow you through that storm. Praise God for the storms. Amen? Because if life were just good, I would be a stockbroker in Dallas with a lot of money. That sounded better than I thought it would. <laughs> my wife went through storms. My children, my parents, my in-laws. But you go through the rough times in life. 
praise God for them. It says, I trust you, God, even though I don't know where I'm going or how I'll get there. God, I don't think I can do. In fact, I'm pretty sure I can't do what you want me to do. I'm just not that good, God. One of our shepherding elders gave me this definition of faith. I love this. Faith is is confident obedience to God and his word regardless of my circumstances or listen, or how I feel. That's huge because we want to operate based on how we feel. Like, do we feel good about this or not? And we must not do that. We must not operate our life by that. It will not work. So when Abraham follows God's plans, it means he's giving up his plans to make something out of his life, wealth, fame, meaning. I'm not saying that those things are bad in of themselves. But you have to give that stuff up. If God brings them, he brings them. But the temptation for Abraham is to say, no thanks, God. No thanks. I'll do all that stuff on my own because I know it's in my heart. But God is saying, follow me. I'll do so much more out of your life than you would ever do. I hope you hear that. Here's how and where this ties into John 8. So many folks are unwilling to follow Christ Jesus as their Savior, Lord, and say, I give up my plans for you. Sure, they're willing to say, oh, Jesus, if you want to save me from hell, great. Uh, Let me get back to my life, though. I'm kind of busy here. Here's the religious leader dudes. They had wealth, fame, power, and they were doing everything they could do to hang on to that power. And here's Jesus who had nothing except the clothes on his back, quite literally, He had no earthly possessions or power. And yet, it was Jesus making the blind see, healing the lame, raising dead people back to life in the power of God. So the religious leaders ask this in verse 53. They think, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Now remember, they're trying to trap Jesus in his words. This is a loaded question. So make sure you get this tone. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the office. You remember the office, you know, when Michael is, is uh, doing the exit interview with Toby. Any fans of the office? God will forgive you. So, you know, the girls walk in and he's got this question like, who do you think you are? But the girls walk in and they think, and so he's like, who do you think you are? It's that kind of question. You've got to get the tone. These guys are going, who do you think you are? He says in verse 54, Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Whew, these, these were fighting words. I don't know if you're getting this. This is, this is where the whole Abraham thing now comes into play. Because Abraham says, look, I could honor myself. I could stay in Ur of the Chaldees. But I am going to follow you, God, in faith. Trust you for my honor, for my life. So because Abraham understands this, write this down. Our honor Only honor that comes from God holds true value. All other honors are transient 
and insignificant. I hope you understand that. Only honor that comes from God holds true value. All other honors are transient and insignificant. You know, how transient? Like a participation ribbon from your third grade race. That's orange. It says, thanks for playing. It means nothing. Now, the late Scottish pastor and theologian William Barclay, I love reading his stuff. He says this, it's not difficult to honor oneself. One can easily surround oneself with a kind of synthetic halo. It's easy enough. In fact, it's fatally easy to bask in the sunshine of one's own approval. It's not difficult or overly difficult to win honor from men. The world honors the successful and the ambitious. But the real honor is the honor which only eternity can reveal. And the verdicts of eternity are not verdicts of time. Hmm. So what do we do with this? Christians all have the call of God on them. That's how we become Christians. We have the Holy Spirit that makes us alive. We're born again. They are called to life by God. Amen? Not because we're somehow good enough. Because we're not. But simply, in God's providence, his plan, he calls them to spiritual life out of spiritual death. Our response is to be then like Abraham and to say to God, um, yes. Yes, Lord. All right, let me sing a line from an old song. This is uh, Shirley Caesar, I think, wrote this. She's, she's a great African-American singer. I love her. Um, it goes like this. Yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart I'll agree. And my answer will be, yes, Lord, yes. Look it up. Great song. Now, this is a scary thing to say. Easy to sing, scary to actually mean this song. I know when God is calling me, I had those thoughts. When God calls me, what if he calls me to a place that where I can't pay my rent? What if I have to leave my hometown Five generations. What if I have to leave my parents? It's easy to start weighing all these things of if and then miss what God is actually calling us to. The answer we must give, even with all the doubts, is this. I leave all that I have or could gain on my own and trust my life, body and soul, to God's plans for me. I mean, this serious as a heart attack. Right here. I leave all that I have or could gain on my own and trust my life, body, physical body, and soul to God's plans for me. That's what surrendering to God looks like. Now, will God call you into a vocational ministry to work in a church, to be a missionary in a foreign land? I don't know. I don't know. But here's what I do know. That all of God's people are called to be ministers in the local church. 
serving and loving the world where they live, their little sphere of influence, and even closer to home to be ministers to our own families. I know that. Listen, mom and dads, your primary responsibility in this life is to follow Jesus to the fullest possible extent so that your kids will see him, see how you follow him. They will see how you walk through the difficulties of life and how you held on to God in faith through that storm. The gift right there is far better than any money you could leave them, any education you could give them. And listen, dads, moms, you can't lead them to a place that you've never been to. Can I just be honest? We all must come to the point of surrender of our own plans for our lives and say, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. That's what Abraham did. That's why Jesus points to him. We, uh, he gave up what we could, that what could have been thoughts. By the way, you notice when those come, that's always from the devil. It's always, A, you don't have a time machine. And B, God's doing with what he's doing with you right now. So don't look back like that and say, God, I'm surrendered to you. That brings up our second thing Abraham did. Write this down. Abraham's faith, believing in God in spite of his circumstances. Ooh, this one's hard. This one's hard. Abraham's faith, believing in God in spite of his circumstances. We know from the Bible that once Abraham arrived in the new land, God was finally calling to him. Boom, there was a famine. Don't you think, hey God, um, I'm following you, but I got here and there's no work and no food. Other than that, it's great. The book of Genesis tells us that there were times that Abraham really struggled to trust God. And sometimes he made some big mistakes along the way. I mean, I'm summarizing huge parts of the book of Genesis. But we know Abraham's faith um, was solid. His family was even hard to deal with. I mean, his his nephew Lot was just a jacked up guy. Credibly messed up family. We had, when they parted ways, they grew too big and Abraham said, let's part ways. They weren't upset. They just said, you've got too many sheep. I've got too many sheep. He said to Lot, he says, you pick the land. I'll pick whatever you don't. So Lot picks the best land for himself. And yet in spite of that, Abraham knew. He goes, even though I'm getting the land that I don't really want, I'm going to trust God. In Genesis, we read about the constant danger Abraham faced from enemies, but if you know anything about Abraham's struggles, what was God had what God had promised was to bring this blessing to the world through his offspring. But the struggle was that his wife Sarah was barren; she was well past childbearing years. Um, when the promise was initially made to Abraham, there was. There was still time, you know, like an outside chance. Well, Sarah will get pregnant, you know, but and as the years went on, they faced challenging time. To, to trust God was still in control, that he would keep his word, Abraham held on to that. At one point, Abraham's faith really started to fail his and Sarah's. And she said, hey, take my concubine, uh, female servant, sleep with her, conceive, and then we'll do that. Like God... 
I'm running out of time, so since you're not acting, I'll do this. And Abraham began to place his trust in that little boy born to the concubine, Ishmael. He went as far as praying, God, would you just bless my plans? Have you ever done that? Like, God, just, God, would you just do what I'm asking you to do? Has your prayer been like that? That's what Abraham does. But God made it clear that Ishmael was not the one through whom the promise would be fulfilled. The child through whom the promise would be realized would be born to Abraham and Sarah despite their advanced age. I mean, so get this, when Abraham is 99 and Sarah was about 90, when there was really no hope of Sarah conceiving, no hope at all, they have a son. Sarah conceives. Abraham had believed God despite the circumstances. Now listen to how the Apostle Paul speaks about Abraham's faith despite the circumstances here. In Romans 4 verse 19, Paul says, he, referring to Abraham, did not weaken in faith when he considered his body, his own body, which was as good as dead. God's got a sense of humor, doesn't he? Uh, Since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced. That's faith right there. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Isn't it interesting? That as Abraham's body grew older and more frail... His faith grew stronger. That's the way it's supposed to work. I mean, as your body falls apart, it can be incredibly frustrating. And yet, Abraham grew in his faith as his body was falling apart. I love the definition of faith in the book of Hebrews. Don't you love this one? Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's a great Great definition of faith, but it's that last line of Romans 4.20 uh, and verse 21 that I love. Write this down. I just put it in this form for you. Faith is giving glory to God, fully convinced that God is able to do what he promised. That's a definition of faith that we can really hold on to. Giving glory to God, praising God. God, God, you got this fully convinced in our own mind that God is able to do what he promised to do. How can we have that kind of faith? Well, not on our own. We have to get it by the Holy Spirit, but we have to exercise it. Think about this. Was the faith from Abraham or from God? It it was from God. God had given him that faith. Now, here's the deal. For Christ followers, we have faith in a sovereign God. Amen? We do. Think through that with me. God is sovereign, meaning he is in control of all things. God is sovereign, meaning he is in control of all things. Now, some would say to me, Paul, you make God into a monster. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. This means that there is not one atom, not one maverick molecule floating off in the space somewhere in the universe that God doesn't control. If that's true, and the Bible consistently says that, well then, this is a hard truth, but listen to me, a truth nonetheless. 
God could make your life easier. He could make it more fun. If he thought it that fit his plans. I mean, he could give you anything he wanted. He could remove anything that stops you from getting what you really want. He can make life easy for you. He can. So if he doesn't, and yet he could, we have to ask why. And the answer is hard, but it's true. Everything that God does is according to his purpose and glory. Everything that God does is according to his purpose and glory. And this is the hard part of learning to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord right here. Because sometimes what you want is not what God wants. That means one of the purposes of God is to teach you to trust him even when life is difficult. One of the purposes of God is to teach you, to teach me, to trust him even when life is difficult. Finally, as we think about how Abraham lived out his faith in God, number three, here it is. Placing his hope in the coming of Jesus Christ. Some of you are like, what? Jesus wouldn't be born for like couple of thousand years here. This is Abraham's faith, placing his hope in the coming of Jesus Christ. And not only placing his hope in the coming, but actually rejoicing in Jesus' coming. Back to John 8. As Jesus is talking about Abraham's faith, he says this to the religious leaders in verse 56. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, how can that be? Well, Jesus is saying, what is Jesus saying here? Some would argue that Jesus just means that Abraham was in heaven and kind of looked down when he was born of the Virgin Mary, like he rejoiced in heaven. And the problem is not that Abraham couldn't know what was going on on earth when he is in heaven. I personally think you can. The difficulty with this view is that Jesus was preexistent to anything. Meaning that since Jesus is God the Son, he was not a created being. In fact, he is God. According to what we read in John 1, Jesus was with God and was God in the beginning. He was God the Son. And that Jesus created all things. And what we learned in Colossians 1, 7 is that he is before all things. And in him is all things are held together. So look at this, John 8, 57 and 58. So the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This should send cold shivers down your spine right here. He uses the name for God. It's as if Jesus wanted to say that Abraham was still alive and rejoiced at his birth and ministry. Jesus could have just said the same thing, but in the present tense. I mean, he could have just said, Abraham is rejoicing right now as he sees me talking to you yahoos right here. But rather, he says in verse 58, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. In other words, Jesus is talking in past tense 
but then calling himself I am in the present tense, but in the past. Do you see that? Jesus is clearly saying that God gave Abraham some kind of revelation of Jesus' coming. We're not told how, but just that he did. Now, there are some that would say Jesus is referring here in John 8 to Genesis 12 we looked at earlier when he promised to bless the world through Abraham. And some would say, no, 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 no. It's Genesis 15 when he's given the covenant and they sacrifice the idols and the smoking fire pot goes through. You remember that? And I don't think that that is right either. Some would say, no, it was, was when you were promised that Isaac would be born. But I don't think that works. I personally think that the vision God gives Abraham of Jesus coming one day happens on Mount Moriah. Now, this is, this is an opinion, but a correct one. The story of when God had tested Abraham's faith is God directed Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. That's when I think this happened. Consider this. God had come to Abraham and told him to take his son, the heir of the promise, and sacrifice him on the mountain three days' journey away. Do you remember this story? It must have been a terrible struggle for Abraham that evening as he wrestled with God's command. But sometime during the night, something occurred to him that he needed to follow God's instruction. He's supposed to sacrifice Isaac. No matter how difficult that instruction was. Abraham was aware of God's unwavering faithfulness. He, his promise to create this vast nation through Isaac. Abraham knew the promise of God to him, didn't he? Given that Isaac was yet to have any offspring, he was still just a little boy. Abraham's faith is demonstrated. This is it. In that he believed that if God was asking him to kill Isaac as a sacrifice, then God would have miraculously given him Isaac. We would perform another miracle and raise Isaac back from the dead. Namely, that God would raise him back to life, raising Isaac back from death. Talk about faith. Now listen to what Abraham says when he is about to go up and he's about to offer his son Isaac. We read in Genesis 22, verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship, and will come again to you. He expects to bring the boy back, and yet he knows he's going to sacrifice him. We know that Abraham believed that he would bring Isaac back down the mountain because of what we just read, right? And we know he's going to sacrifice him because he's got the... He's got the wood, he's got the knife, all of that. And we know he's going to bring Isaac back with him. I think this is where it happens. Hebrews 11 verse 17 says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who, he, uh, and he who had received the promises was, the act, was in the act of offering Isaac. His only son. He's got the knife up ready to slay his son. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him, raise Isaac from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. 
Abraham clearly believed that God was going to do this miracle of bringing back Isaac from the dead. Why? Why? Faith demonstrated. Because it's Abraham's salvation is secured by faith in God who can turn death into life. Uh, Isn't it interesting that raising a son back to life after he was sacrificed on the cross is exactly what God did in raising back Jesus to life? But even after God had stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac, God provided a ram. The ram was caught in the thorn bushes in his head just over there. Now, don't miss the significance of this picture because I believe it is right here, right here, that Abraham sees that God would provide a sacrifice for his people. He sees Jesus. That's what Jesus is referring to in John 8. He says, Abraham saw me being sacrificed. Well, this pushes the Jewish religious leaders, man, over the edge that Jesus would say that he had, seen Abraham or Abraham had seen him. So they picked up stones ready to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now we're not told how Jesus does that, but the bottom line is that it's not yet time for Jesus to die in God's perfect plan of redemption. That would come in six months from this time. Jesus gives us a great example of faith in Abraham, doesn't he? Faith demonstrated of Abraham looking forward to the coming of Jesus. So the question is, will you do the same as Abraham did? First, are you willing to demonstrate your faith, placing God's call on your life above all honor, above all that God you could get in this life? Would you do that? Now, the world is offering a lot, I've got to say. Money, success, they offer happiness. Second, are you willing to demonstrate your faith in following Jesus in spite of your circumstances? What if it looks like you can't get through? No, 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 doesn't look like. You're sure you can't get through. Because when everything is going well, I'm like, this following Jesus is easy. But what happens when cancer comes you go I can handle that what about when you lose your job what happens when your child dies getting too real third like are you willing to demonstrate your faith in the soon return of Jesus Christ to place Everything, all your chips, you shove them across the table and say, I'm going to stand on my faith in Jesus. What I find so interesting that these religious leaders thought that saving faith was simply being a physical descendant of Abraham. But the Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 9, verse 7 and 8. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. I think the promise there goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. If you would, turn to Genesis 3.15. We call this the Proto-Evangelium. 
the first gospel. God says, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and this woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall, uh, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I think this is the promise that this is referring to. If you believe that Jesus is the son of God, listen to me, you are a child of the promise. You have been regenerated. You have been born again. Because of Jesus, you have been adopted into the family of God. You are a child of the promise. So will you follow? Will you demonstrate your faith that you say you have? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus talking to these religious leaders preaching to them and we thank you for the example of Abraham's faith of following you even when he didn't see especially when he didn't see where you're going God we pray for a compass we pray for a Holy Spirit move in our life that we would just be faithful to go even though we don't see where that is to go we pray that you would move us that you grow us in faith and God we don't pray that Life would be easy. We pray that you, there would just be so much of you in it that it would seem easy as the world looks at us and sees us following. God, I pray for moms and dads right now that you would help moms and dads in this room to begin to follow you so their kids would know how to follow. God, we thank you for these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.